0: Hey, 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 Harmony! Woo! How y'all doing? Good. Uh, man, starting with a baptism, how good is that? Two baptisms is even better, right? Amen? Woo! Hey, I want to say if you are our guest here today, we're super thankful that you've joined us for worship. On your way out at the welcome desk, we have a special gift for you. Please be sure to stop by and get that, all right? Uh, I, I wanted to tell you, we are in the middle of the series, Bad Things Good Christians Believe. And the specific thing, the bad thing that we're going to talk about today is something that I've heard, man probably a thousand times before. I, I've heard it so much in my ministry, and the problem for me is it almost always happens, like people say this in kind of the middle of a tragedy or a bad thing, something terrible has happened, and I, I'm i always super tempted to try to correct the theology right then and there, but um, like that's a really bad time to correct the theology, all right? so if, if not, So I'm going to teach us today and kind of hopefully give you a different way of thinking about all of this. Uh, but if, if you come out of it thinking differently and you hear somebody say this in a tragedy or in one of those terrible moments, like, just remember, you got to be careful when you try to correct theology that you do it. What, what most people need in a tragedy is somebody to listen to them. They need just somebody who won't talk and who will listen and be, be somebody who they can lean on, all right? So if I can do that, you can do it because you guys know I blather on like crazy, right? Uh, That's what I was looking for. I love a little feedback there. Uh, So let me give you an example of when this statement that we're about to talk about happens. All right. So now let's pretend you're 20 years old. You have just been in a terrible car accident. Now, nobody was hurt. You were okay. Your neck hurts a little bit, but your car is just totaled. And not only is your car totaled, but you only have liability insurance and the wreck was squarely your fault. You come out of that situation and you're talking to somebody and and they you're telling them how like you don't know what you're gonna do how horrible it all is you don't you, you just don't know how like I don't know how I'm gonna even get to work and they'll say this kind of thing to you are you ready for it they'll say well I just have to believe everything happens for a reason <laughs> you ever had somebody say that to you I just have to believe everything happens for a reason uh, this th- let's let's say you uh, you're working your job and your kid gets injured and. You, you take them to the hospital and you put your insurance in and, and you're, you, you, like, you pay your deductible or whatever and, and they, you get a letter from the hospital saying you owe the full amount. You call your insurance and you go, hey, what's going on? Why do I owe the full amount? I don't get it. I pay insurance. And they say, well, you haven't paid your premium for months and months and months. And you start to look into it and you find out that the company that you work for that's been taking the premiums out of your check, the company you've been working for that takes the premiums out of your check has been pocketing that money and not paying your insurance. You later on are at your Bible study, and you're talking to somebody, and they say this. You're like, you're frustrated. You don't know what to do. It turns out that the whole corporation you work for implodes because of it. You're losing your job. You're losing everything. You don't have insurance. And on top of that, you have this huge medical bill you have to, you have to pay. And in your Bible study, somebody looks across and says this to you. You know everything happens for a reason. What do you do with that if you're those people in those scenarios? Now I know, I know for some of you, you're like, but Kent, everything does happen for a reason, doesn't it? Like you, I know that there are so many of us. I, I mean, I am not kidding you. I think almost every tragic thing that I have ever heard of, I'll hear somebody say some version of this. Everything happens for a reason. See, I have also, I've also in my ministry known quite a few people who have just completely turned their back on God. Have you known any of those people? They just completely turned their back on God. And their answer for it is that God is God if there even is a God, He's mean and He's vindictive and He's terrible and He's horrible. Because how in the world could He have these things happen to me? Because I was in the car wreck and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a job. I ended up get, I ended up going homeless, becoming homeless because of it, and I had to work my way out of it. And if there is a God, I'm the one who worked myself out of this, not him. He has nothing to do with my life. And they're angry and they're upset. Right, And they're mad and they're sitting there going, I don't know if I can even believe in a God like that. See, what I want you to hear is that when we say, I know why we're saying this. We're saying that everything happens for a reason because we love people and and we want to, in the middle of tragedy, our hope is to take that tragedy and try to make some sense of it. People will say this all the time, like, how do we make sense of this tragedy? And that's what we're trying to do as Christians. We're trying to make some sense out of tragedy, but the problem is, it is senseless. And, and it creates these problems where there is this underlying message in that statement. And the underlying message is this. It is that God, it is, that God is the cause of pain and suffering I'm going through. Why do those people come into my office or I'm sitting there talking to them at dinner or whatever and you hear, you hear the statement that they, they're mad at God, they, 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 hate, they turn their back on God, they hate Him. Some of you, I'm talking about your children. Like your children hate God like that. Some of you, it's your brother, it's your sister, it's your sister-in-law and you have people that are literally close to you that you can picture in your mind who they hate God when it comes up. And why? Because for their whole life, there has been this underlying message that God is the cause of their pain and suffering. The message they've heard all their lives is that God causes terrible things to happen in our lives as part of his plan. (laughs) Well, it must have been God's plan for that to happen. So what do you do when you get cancer? What do you do when your child gets ill? What do you do when all the things that you're facing feel like his plan is a terrible plan. Like, let's be honest, God, I can plan better than that, (laughs) right? What do you do with that? So here's the question. Here's the big question I think that we need to work on today. Does God have a specific plan for your life? Does God, I I know probably most of you believe that or you've said that, you said something to that that effect that it's God's plan or if it's God's plan or whatever. We, most Christians have this idea that God has the specific plan for our life. So does God have a specific plan for your life? And if so, is he forcing that plan onto your life? If God has a specific life, is he forcing your life into that mold and causing everything to happen that's going on around you? Now, I know some of you are like, Kent, I've got you on this one, buddy. Like, you you don't know what you're doing. You just stepped into a landmine because there is literally a passage that says God has a plan for your life, right? And some of you are like ready to just jump on me with it. Can I bring, maybe you've thought of this because you're a Bible scholar. Some of you, I, I knew a guy who uh, he got, he had a badge for every year that he went to Sunday school and never missed. I mean, he was like the Sunday school king as a kid. Like I had a whole jersey full of badges. Maybe you're that guy. Or maybe maybe you got the, the trophies and the little, awards for memorizing tons of scripture. And so for you, this one Bible verse popped into your head when I said, does God have a plan for our lives? And the Bible verse was Jeremiah 29 11. Have you ever heard this Bible verse before? Yeah. All right. See, so so how many, now as I read it, I want you to think, have you ever gotten a Hallmark card with this Bible verse? Have you ever given one to a graduating senior with this verse? All right, listen to this. Here we go. Are you ready? This is so good. So good, Kent. You're in big trouble. You should have known this one, Kent. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the. I know the what? I have for. I know the plans I have for you, sucker. <laughs> Sorry for you, Kent. You're a terrible preacher. <laughs> I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you put it on a card. You put a stamp on it. You send it to your teenager that's graduating. And life is good, right? Can I ask you this question? Have any of you ever read Jeremiah 29 verse 10? How many of you gotten a card with verse 10 on it? Anybody? <laughs> Uh, We just like verse 11, don't we? Like 10, who cares about 10? Leave 10 out of it. They don't care about that. Look, can I read you verse 10 with this real quick? Now, how many of you hate history? Let me see those folks out there. Raise your hands. I will try to do you a favor and not like kill you with history. I'll try to make it a little interesting, but we're going to read verse 10. I'm going to give you just a snippet of history and tie it into verse 11. Is that okay with everybody? Say, yes, can't. I like it when you feed back with me. All right, folks, here we go. Here we go. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and 11. Never, Hallmark never puts this on a card. (laughs) This is what the Lord says. So God is the one speaking. He's the one we're listening to here, right? This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. What? Where did Babylon come in? That's not about me graduating high school. Uh, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Can I tell you what the 70 years are completed for Babylon is? Now, this is the quick... Portion about history. let's try to keep it under three minutes for those of you who hate history. All right? Everybody good with that? Somebody time me if I get under three minutes, then life will be good. All right. Here we go. And works. Get set. Go. Israel used to be one whole nation, all right? This is way back a long time ago. They eventually separated into two nations. One was the northern tribe of Israel, and the second was the southern tribe. The northern tribe gets taken off by the Assyrians. Like, we never hear from these people again. They're captured, and they're taken off. You never hear from them again. The southern tribe of Israel, the southern part of the nation, they also have some problems. They try to love God and occasionally they have a king who's loving God and occasionally the kings are terrible people and they're kind of going back and forth and the whole time God is sending prophets to him, and he's saying stop being like that if you just stick with me stay with me I'd love you I'd give you, I'd give you this good stuff but if you don't I'm going to send some people and they're going to take care of you they're going to they're take this out of you and what he ends up doing is God sends the Babylonians this Huge empire to come. And the Babylonians come to the southern tribes of Israel and they take the entire southern kingdom away. They capture them. Actually, it's not unlike what the Russians are doing to the Ukrainians where they came in and they just this huge force comes in and takes this little force and they sweep them off and the only people that are left are the poor people. And they, they get swept. Have you ever read the book of Daniel in your life? You ever heard about Daniel and the lion's den? And like we tell these stories to kids. That should terrify you, somebody getting thrown in with lions, but God saves them. And we tell kids about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go into this fiery furnace and God walks around and saves them. Those stories happen in the Babylonian captivity, and guess how long it lasted? Seventy years. And I'm done with the history lesson. <laughs> Seventy years. And Jeremiah sits... Was I under three? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah! So good. So good. Don't mess with me. All right, here we go. You're like, could you do that for the rest of your sermon, Kent? Uh, <laughs> now we're getting there. Here we go. Seventy years. Jeremiah comes up and he prophesies and he says, it will be 70 years that you will be in the... He, he is not yet in the Babylonian captivity, but he says, the Babylonians... When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, 70 years, 70 years is basically a generation. What God is saying to them is, I need the old generation that has been living this way to just, I I need to wait them out. So I'm taking you out of Israel. I'm going to wait them out for 70 years. And then I'm going to take you back to the land and give you back the nation. And, And so he says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then we get to verse 11. Now that you understand the context of this passage, could I read you verse 11 and listen? For I know the plans I have for you. Who's God speaking to? Is it you? Or is he speaking to people who are going to be going into exile and he's telling them, when you're there, don't don't sweat it. I know the plans I have for you. I have the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Can I tell you something? This passage isn't for us as a promise. That's hard. This passage was not spoken as a promise for you. Actually, it's a promise to the Jewish people about God's deliverance for them. Right? So... (laughs) So if you are a Jewish person who is going to, Babylon was in kind of modern day Iraq, so if if you're going to go to Iraq for the next 70 years, then you can apply, if you're Jewish, you can apply this into your life, Okay. But if not, this, see, we we do this with everything else. Like if something's taken out of context, somebody says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm gonna jump off this building and I know I can do it because Christ strengthens me. You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're taking that passage out of context. It doesn't mean that you can jump off a building and not die. This passage, does it mean that God just has all these plans for you? Or did he have plans for the Israelites who were going into exile for 70 years and that he was trying to let them know it won't be forever? Now, some of you are super sharp. Like, you're beyond just the Sunday school level pen person. Like, you really are Bible scholars, and you're going, but Kent, if that, if that was true for them, that God actually had a promise and a plan for them, couldn't it be true that he has a plan for me as well? Couldn't that be true still, Kent? Well, I, I just want you to notice this for a moment, okay? I want you to notice that the promise of God's plan in this passage is not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope in a future his plan is not it, it, what he's trying to get to is prosperity what he's trying to get to is hope what he's trying to get to is future not ter- so when we say these things to people like like everything happens for a reason in the middle of your your child dying that's a terrible thing to say to somebody god is not the one causing their child to die do you understand what I'm saying? It, it creates this idea that God is the one who wants to bring us through that. That even when you go through 70 years of exile, even when you go through really hard things, I, want, I have something that's greater. I have something that I want to give you that's better. I have a hope and I have a future for you. I know that's kind of what we're trying to say when we say everything happens for a reason, but I'm telling you, the message you're saying is not that. It's not that. The scripture is clear about this. The scripture is clear that God does have an ultimate plan. So don't hear me saying God doesn't have a plan. I will say this. I didn't say this during first service, but so this is a freebie for you guys. It betrays something about us when we say, God, what's your plan for my life? You ever thought about how self-oriented that idea is, that the whole God of the universe is only thinking about planning out your specific life? Instead, it should be, God, what is your plan, and I will put my life in it. That makes sense to you? It is a Total flip of the idea. So the scripture is clear that God does have an ultimate plan. But we, I I want you to get this because some of you have grown up in a theological system that has made you believe certain things about God. We are not just actors on God's stage reciting the words and actions that he's predetermined. What I'm saying is, you are not predestined i had the first service do this and then i realized it was kind of weird i said put your hand under your bottom all right so that's weird put your hand next like next to your bottom on the chair okay put your hand on the chair next to you all right feel that chair Now, there's one theological system that says that chair is in that spot because God preordained it from the beginning of creation. He predestined that that chair would sit in that spot in this moment for your hand. And you didn't even put your hand on the chair because Kent told you to or you chose to. You put your hand there and some of you didn't. How many of you didn't put your hand there? You're not gonna raise. Oh, you did raise your hand. Very nice. I was like, they're not gonna listen. They they would say that, that God... God, God, God was the one that told you not to put your hand there. The, every single thing that you do is predestined. It's preordained. You have no choice in it. You are just an actor on God's stage. Could I take you to a couple scriptures that give me a problem with this? Could I for a moment? Because I think it's important because some of you, your theological background keeps you from being able to bite on this idea that everything doesn't always happen for a reason. That sometimes they're really, you know, last week I said death is as terrible as it seems. Sometimes there are just bad things that happen. Listen, uh, we're going to go to First uh, Samuel 23 in just a moment. So I, I want you guys, you can take a picture of this, write it down, so you can go check me out later. I want to tell you the story, okay? Uh, king David, who is not yet king. He is, at this point, just a shepherd boy who has been kind of a warrior, and he's been pretty successful in battle, but he hasn't become King David, he uh, actually has been under the tutelage, under the leadership of another king named Saul. And Saul, uh, at first, was a pretty good king, but he kind of turns and s- starts to turn bad. And so God says that He's going to give the kingdom to David. He's going to become the new king, which is pretty exciting as a young person, right? But David has this heart—that's a heart after God's own heart. And he doesn't just immediately go. He, he waits for God to kind of help bring this all about. And so David is running from King Saul because Saul has found out and he is trying to kill David. He, he doesn't want David to take his throne. And David is running from him. He's hiding. And David is in this town called Keilah. And he says, he, he calls for a priest. And he, he says to the priest, I need, you, I need you to go before God for me. And I need you to ask a couple questions for me. So the priest puts on his priestly garb. He is now acting as God's voice in this, in this world. And David asks him this question. He says, is Saul going to come after me here at Keilah? Now what you and I know, is we've been reading 1 Samuel 23, and we know that Saul has already been told that David is in this town, and he is gathering his forces so that he can come and overwhelm David and kill this traitor. So David asks, he doesn't know this, but he asks the priest, is Saul going to come here? The priest comes back, and he gives God's answer. He says he will. David asks a follow-up question. When he comes, will the people of this town turn me over to Saul so I will be killed? Or will they protect me? And the priest says, They will. They'll turn you over. I said, I want you to listen to what happens out of this moment where this priest has just predicted the future because God has told him the future. Listen to what happens. 1 Samuel, verse 23. So David and his men sat there for a while. Saul came up, asked the people of the town to give him David. David is given over to Saul, and Saul kills him and cuts off his head until he's dead. Is that what yours says? No? What does it say? I got it all wrong. Let me read what it actually says. That was Kent's made-up version. Some of you are like, what is wrong? What are you reading from? Remember, God predicted the future. He told him what was going to happen. Listen to what it says. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. He didn't even go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Can I ask you a question? The future that God predicts does not come to pass. Did you notice that? God predicted a future. It didn't come to pass. Why? Why didn't it come to pass? If God is the one orchestrating and ordaining everything in the world and the universe, and he orchestrates every single person, that chair that you're sitting on, he put that chair there. Why didn't what he said would happen come to pass? Why did something completely opposite happen? Yeah, because I want you to hear this. this these, are, these are big ideas. Because God can see, he can see every possible outcome of every potential move we make. God sits there and I think there is almost this sense that God puts himself in the moment with us. God can see and he can predict the entire future of every single scenario, every decision you make. This is why, if you've ever wondered, why didn't God answer that prayer the way I wanted him to? I believe it's because for God, there are, there's so much more to take into consideration than you and I give him to take into consideration. Because for him, it, affects, it literally could affect the trajectory of all human history how he interacts with us. Have you ever thought about that? And so for God, he looks at it and he sees every potential outcome of every decision that's made. And he says to David, if, if this happens, this is what will happen. And I firmly believe that if David had stayed there, King Saul would have come and the people would have given him over. And what I said at the beginning would have happened because God could see every possible outcome of every potential move we make. It is... <laughs> He, don't you want, though, a God who is bigger than what you can just contain in your own little brain? He's huge. He's massive. So, listen, God is never surprised by our decisions, but He does not dictate them. He is not surprised by them. He knows that there is a potential for you to make the decision you, you made. He knows that the brokenness that you've experienced and that you've chosen, he knows that you're gonna make that decision he's already making plans. Can I give you one other passage that this comes from the New Testament? This is Jesus speaking. Uh, He is, um, have any of you ever broken up with a girl or a guy and you just like, you keep pining for him. You're like, oh, I had roommates in college that were like that. You'd be like, "Please shut up about her. I just, I'm so tired. Please stop." And oh, but I just, I wonder what she's doing right now. You ever had that person? and You're like, "Please stop!" Right here. And, you're, and I, that, so, I, I want you to read this. And I want, there is this piece of this. It's almost like, like Jesus is showing us His heart in a way that is a little unusual. And you have this like sense of somebody who is longing for a relationship that's totally been broken. Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 13, Jesus on his way to the cross soon. It's close to the last, it's the last week of his life at the beginning of it. He says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, shall we, oh, shall we? Right, like, how does this her so much? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stoned those, who, those sent to you. How often, listen to the tenderness of this language. I, I I'll tell you, I think this language is more akin to like a mother grieving her child than anything else. Listen, how often I've longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus is looking at him. and he's saying, you know, the the, the prophets that he's speaking of, remember I told you that the Israelites, when the 70 years happened, that God was sending prophets to them, they didn't listen to the prophets. They oftentimes would lock them up. They'd put them in prison. They'd do horrible things to them. Jesus is telling us he killed killed them. They killed them. They stoned them. And the whole time the prophets were there, God saying, come back to me, please come back. You guys are doing these wicked things. You're walking in your own ways. Come back to me, come back to me. And he says, how often have I longed? To gather you together. I just wanted you to come to me. I wanted you to come under my wings. I would give you protection. it, It was his will, right? But listen, listen to this last piece of the sentence. And you were not, what's that last word? Willing. Do you see this? Jesus, who is God, has longed for. He has willed. He has willed this that Jerusalem would come to him for protection, but they were not willing. They were not willing. I want you to see this. God was willing. God was willing. It was was literally his will. It was his plan. It was what he desired, what he wanted, but somehow they were able to thwart that. God was willing, but they were not. Do you... And I want to tell you something. This is another one of those big, I think this is a mind-blowing statement that probably deserves its own sermon, but I'm not going to give it to you right now because we only got a few minutes left. God, listen, God in his grace allows us to exert our own will on this world. God in his grace. He could force you to do everything, every little thing that he wants to. He could, if he wanted, he he could force everything upon you. So this is not to say that God is not in control of everything, that he is not sovereign, is the old biblical word for that, that, that. God is in control of everything, but in that control, he gives you and I choice. Kent says to put my hand on the seat. That's stupid. I'm not doing that. And you had a choice, whether you put the hand down or you put the hand up. Right? You had a choice. God, in his grace, Allows us to exert our own will on this world, even when it opposes his will and if you don 't believe that, go back and read the Garden of Eden. It is literally the story of the Garden of Eden, us exerting our own will in opposition to his own his will. It has been the story of all humanity. it is literally I think what Christians are called to do. Like this this may be another big idea for you, but I believe one of the primary purposes of prayer for a Christian is for us to submit our will, like that creative force inside of us, that the deciding force to submit our will to God's will. Do you remember Jesus at his own death saying something like, like he's praying before it? And he says, Not my but your be done. Do you remember? Anybody grow up in a church that you quoted the Lord's Prayer all the time? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a place where uh, this is Jesus. If you read Jesus and look for it, you start to see. He'll say things like, I only do what I see my Father doing. He'll say things like, I only say the things that my Father has told me to say. He is literally this perfect person who is walking in union with the Father, following him all the way showing us what it could be like if we would walk with the Father in that same way, where we would say, not my will, but your will be done. And I believe this is how God actually interacts and works with the world is through Christians, through remo- you removing your will, giving it over to God, and he uses That's powerful stuff. So listen, I know this is all big idea. You guys are like, Whew, can't stop. But <laughs> this means sometimes, listen to this. What this means, if we have the ability to exert our own will in this world, It means that sometimes things happen because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes junk happens in your life because you live in a fallen world. You live in a world that can exert its own will upon the world. It means some things happen because people are evil in our world. It means that sometimes bad things happen because mankind has gone its own way. You know that, right? You do know that God warned humanity that this would happen. He warned that the system would be broken if they broke it. He said, God warned Adam and Eve that death would enter the world if they abandoned him for their own way. Remember that? He said, if you do this, if you eat from the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. And death entered in the world. As a matter of fact, it, it, is, uh, it is kind of a sad thing to say that God would abandon if they abandon him for their own way, that kind of God abandoned them. That's almost what it sounds like I'm saying. But I want you to hear this, that God, who, I just real quickly want to walk you through one more piece of history. promise probably not more than three minutes, okay? It, It looks like this. God, before the creation of the world, he knows every potential outcome. Like, I believe God knows what would have happened if Adam and Eve did not eat the fruit. He knew what the eventuality could have looked like. But he also knew that Adam and Eve had the potential to eat the fruit. And so God, in that moment, before the creation of the world even existed, he put into process and into place this plan of salvation that would bring salvation to the whole world, that would, that would restore and fix what Adam and Eve does, did. And so you can see all the way through, if you read the Old Testament looking for this, you can see it. Uh, right, right away, Adam and Eve have two children, Cain and Abel. One of them is upset and he's jealous of the other one. And God says to him, Cain, Sin is crouching at your door. You need to be careful. You need to get in control of it. Cain doesn't listen to him. Cain kills his brother. Again, more choices of will, me forcing my will and exerting it on the world. Noah is a preacher of righteousness who lives in in that time period. And Noah, whether you believe the story or not, I don't care, just listen to it for a moment because he, he preaches to all the people. He calls for them to repent. He calls for them to stop going their own way and exerting their will on the world instead of God's will. And they don't listen. God floods the world and brings Noah and his family through. And soon the people are right back at it. And God will raise up a man named Abraham out of those people. He will take Abraham away from all of that. And he'll call Abraham and he'll start to work in Abraham's life. And then he'll, he'll work in Abraham's son, Isaac's life. And he'll work in, in, in Jacob's life his grandson and then his great-grandson Joseph will be born and Joseph will eventually have terrible things happen to him too and he'll get thrown in pits and he'll he'll get taken off as a slave and he'll he'll go to prison and eventually though eventually God starts to move some of that so that something great and wonderful comes out of it and Joseph gets put in charge of people in Egypt and it turns out that he's able to save his whole family and all of the family of Israel comes to Joseph's to Joseph in Egypt and he saves them And they lived well in Egypt for a time until people forgot who Joseph was. And then for over 400 years, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. All their freedom taken away. All their ability to say, I need a day off. My wife and I, we were like, we've had crazy weeks for the last several weeks. And we were like, we just need a lazy day. No lazy day for those folks. Over 400 years of no lazy days for those not And that's a, that, that's a terrible characteris- characterization because it was terrible. But God knows that he's got this moment in history where there's gonna be this guy who's gonna be born as a slave and his name is gonna be Moses and he is gonna live for 80 years. He's gonna be 80. Some of you are like, man, I can't wait till I can retire so I can just do whatever I want. Moses is well past retirement age and God calls him back into the game. 80 years he starts his ministry and he starts working and he's moving and he calls the people of Israel, all these slaves out and he frees them from Egypt and he takes them through the Red Sea, you know the story, the sea parts God takes them through, they're no longer slaves and then God raises up Joshua and he raises up Samuel and he raises up David who will become king and out of David's line, King David, King David wants to build God a temple and God says no, 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 I don't need you to build me a temple, let me build you a house I will make your family last forever. There will be somebody who sits on your throne forever. But you know what? It doesn't happen. David's throne perishes shortly. His children don't do well with it. And the line is kind of lost. People aren't on the throne and people are wondering. And Israel's thrown into this period of time where they're struggling, 70 years, their captivity in Babylon. They come back out from that. And do you know that for hundreds of years, God went silent on the Jewish people? There's a period of time between the end of the Old Testament, you read that last page and the first page of the New Testament. It's like I think it was like 400 years where God didn't speak to the Israelites. You thought your girlfriend was bad, right? Like <laughs> 400 years he's quiet. And then then God does something spectacular. Because what you didn't know unless you live on this side of that history is that all of that was God dipping his finger into humanity to move things at the exact right moment because before the creation of the world, he had come up with this plan to restore and redeem mankind. And so this little blip of light comes onto the horizon. It's this baby. And he is born to this young woman who doesn't know what to do and she raises him and he lives this perfect life. He he is never trying to exert his will he's always trying to exert the father's will in the world and he comes and he lives this perfect life and he gives his life he he literally says look i did what none of you can do i lived in a perfect way because you can't and so i give my life to you i will go through death so that i can overcome death and i will be raised back to life again I will raise myself to show you that I have the keys to life and death and there's nothing that you should fear other than me and my father. And he goes through death, he dies, he is put in a grave for three days and he comes back to life for you. Listen, there is nothing that God won't do to bring about his ultimate plan. He would do anything so much so that he would even die for you. For you in all of the terrible things that you've done, all the ways that you've exerted your own will, all the cruelty that you've brought into this world, all the hurtful things that you've done, all the things that you've said, all the ways that you've destroyed people, he knew it and he came for you he came for me, I promise you, I'm one of those people too listen I need to say this to you I don't know that God causes every single thing to happen but I do know this If there is anything that has ever drawn you to god that was him if something has drawn you back into relationship with him that was him i'm not saying that he caused the problem but i am saying that he was there tapping on your shoulder saying i'm right here come back come back it has always been him there's a passage uh in hebrews some of you maybe have thought about throughout the series where it says that we should endure hardship as discipline from god because Every father disciplines their child to make them better. And so, but, but you could say hardship is discipline, discipline, bad things that happen are God's discipline. That's not what he says. He says, endure hardship as discipline. Look at the hard things in your life as moments that God can still use and he can still redeem. Look at those things. The, the, James would say it this way, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. When you go through really hard stuff, consider it pure joy because God, because God will use that to develop perseverance in you. That's what he's about, is He is wanting to make you something more. He's wanting to invite you into something bigger, into something grander. And so if you've ever experienced something that has drawn you back to God, that was him. He's speaking to you. Some of you are literally sitting in that chair today because he may have moved creation to get you to this point. I don't know. I can't say that he hasn't. What I do know is I've looked in the face of hundreds and hundreds of people just like I'm looking in your faces. And I've seen lots of them who I can feel like God's moving to them and they just sit there. They don't take the step. What would it take for you to take a step towards him today? What would it take, what would it look like for you to, uh, come up here and talk to somebody about finding faith and doing what Shamika and Dakota did earlier, getting baptized, saying, I, I, want, I want my old life to be left behind. What would it look like for you to take a step of faith of being like, I, I, I have people in my life who don't know Jesus and I'm just gonna come up here and pray over them. What would it look like for you? In a moment, you're gonna go, we're gonna sing a song, a song about the Holy Spirit coming and the idea is just us prayerfully asking God to come into this place, into us. I invite you to make that your prayer. We're going to have communion. You'll, during the song, be able to get up and go partake of communion anytime you want. There's offering boxes there. There's a little sheet that shows you how to give online at our church, too. I will say those things are just as much a part of worship, of you giving yourself as anything else in this church. Um, When you give here, I want you to be aware of this. I don't, like, I don't get commission off of people giving more. You know what happens when people give more here? We, we see more lives change because we put that money into, put it into ministry, not into pastor's pockets. And so when you give, I just want you to be fairly and squarely told that your giving makes a difference in people's lives. We believe in a God who turns dollars and cents into lives changed. And so I invite you to participate in giving. I invite you to participate in communion. And most of all, if your life has never been squarely put in the hands of Jesus, I invite you to come up and talk to one of us. It will be the bravest, but it'll be the best thing you've ever done. You guys stand with us, and anytime you want to go and partake of those things, this is your time.